Let's come back to the book of Mark. The book of Mark. As we open up the book now to now to begin to dig into it, and I, I'm going to describe the way we're going to look at Mark in the next couple of months, we're going to squirrel around in it. Normally, we have been through, if you've been with us long enough, you know that we've gone through the book of Matthew, the book of uh, Luke, and the book of John from the beginning to the end, verse by verse. But that was, is going to take longer than I think we will allot to Mark right now. And so I'm referring to squirreling around in it. We're going to spend a number of, a couple of months in Mark, but we won't go verse by verse. So um, today, what I want us to take a look at is Mark's unique approach to Announcing Christ is on the scene. Because, well, let's just read it. We're going to pick it up in Mark chapter 1. I'm going to read a long passage, longer than they would ever tell us in seminary, that here's how you do this. But Mark chapter 1, I want to read through 28 verses. So follow with me. Best bet is to follow it on the screen. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophets... Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Then all the land of Judea and those from Jerusalem went out to him and were all baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, There comes one after me who is mightier than I, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to stoop down and loose. I indeed baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. It came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. Then a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Immediately the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. And he was there in the wilderness forty days, tempted by Satan, and was with the wild beasts, and the angels ministered to him. Now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther from there, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who also were in the boat mending their nets, and immediately called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the, with the hired servants and went after him. Then they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Now there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone! What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice, he came out of him. Then they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And immediately his fame spread throughout all the region around Galilee. Mark has a very unique beginning to his gospel the other gospel writers, they give you, they, they, if you will, they trace 
Christ's arrival. Luke, or, or Matthew, traces it back to Abraham. Luke traces his arrival back to Adam, the perfect man. John traces Jesus' arrival all the way back to eternity past when he was when he existed as he still is, as the eternal word of God. But Mark traces nothing. Boom, he's there. Christ arrives. He's on the scene right now. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So it's a different approach than the other three have. He's there. He's on the scene. But he does something I think is very interesting. Did you notice it? He brings emphasis to the arrival by, I believe, tracking two different places where he uses repetition to make his point. Repetition. You noticed in talking about the car, we kept repeating. We kept repeating five ounces, original wheels, open class. Why? Because we wanted you to get that. Those were the things that mattered. Well, when Christ arrives in Mark's account, he just places him on the scene and then everything unfolds. And it almost strikes me that he's in a hurry in doing it. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He just declares his identity. Jesus, most of you will know this Greek for Joshua, which is the Hebrew which means the Lord is salvation. Christ, it's his Greek title for Messiah, which means the anointed one. So Jesus, his human name, Christ, his office as the future king of the kingdom of God, and then he refers to him as the son of God. He affirms his deity. He says, there he is. He declares him. But then, by this aspect of repetition... He repeatedly declares those who gave testimony to this truth which he has just stated. See if you could follow with me. Did you pick up on this? First, we have Mark's own declaration of the identity of Jesus Christ. He immediately goes into that, follows it with the testimony of the prophets. As it is written in the prophets that there was to be one who precedes Christ. And indeed, that has been fulfilled. And then he goes on to identify who that is in verses 7 and 8. And we have the testimony of John. I indeed baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And then following upon that, we have the testimony of the not only the Holy Spirit but also of the Father himself coming out from the water. He saw the heavens departed and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. Then a voice coming from heaven, You are my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Imagine this. Imagine that at this moment in time, we have Christ who has arrived, and then we have the testimony of the Holy Spirit representing himself in the form of a dove and the voice of the Father saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And we have an actual time, space, physical expression, physical experience of the triune God. What an incredible moment in history that was. But testimony is being given that indeed the Christ has arrived. And in verses 16 to 20, it's not quite so direct in terms of the testimony that's being given. But you find out that Simon, Andrew, James, and John, upon hearing about Jesus, Mark said, man, they just dropped everything, went with him. You don't just go drop everything for somebody who's a nobody. 
They saw something in him. They said, we've got to follow this guy. There's something about him. And then in verses 23 to 26, you get the testimony of the unclean spirit who cries out, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Oh, I've overlooked the testimony of Satan. This is, again, is kind of cryptic in verse, uh, I'm sorry, verse 13. You got Satan, who he was driven into the wilderness. What? To be tempted by Satan. Why did Satan tempt him? Why is Satan getting involved? Well, we, what do we learn from the other gospel writers? We know, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to be turned into bread. Oh, he was there. Satan was tempting him specifically because he is who he, who Mark states him to be, is that he is the Christ. And then the angels minister to him afterwards. Then we find out about John, Andrew, James, and John. Then the unclean spirit come out of him, says, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Then there's the testimony of all of these witnesses in verse 27. Watch this thing unfold. They said, who is this guy? What's going on here that he is able to make the demons even even uh, obey him, and then out from there, the testimony of his presence just spreads. And we read immediately his fame spread throughout all the region around Galilee. So Mark's approach is different. He doesn't trace a lineage. He declares his presence and then gives testimony after testimony after testimony of those who would affirm, we saw him, he was there. So that's when Christ arrives. That's what happened. That's how Mark sets it forth. What I'd also like us to just note is when Christ arrives, things happen. Did any of you notice one particular word was repeated? In the last part of the verses we read, one particular word was repeated six times. You pick up on anybody? Go ahead. Speak up. Anyone? Anyone? Did you? Gospel? Nope. It's in there a couple times, but this one word, okay? The one word repeated six times. You'll see it in verse 10, Okay. And immediately, coming up from the water, verse 12, immediately the Spirit drove them into the wilderness. Verse 18, they immediately left their nets. Verse 20, and immediately he called them. Verse 21, they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath. And then verse 28, immediately his fame spread throughout all the region around Galilee. Mark is declaring not only that Christ is there, but he's saying by this repetition, when Christ arrives, things happen. When Christ comes on the scene, stuff starts to happen. No slow roll entry into this thing. He's like, he's here, stuff is on fire, his fame is going out. It's an amazing thing that is going on. When Christ arrives, things happen. I think Mark is looking to impress something upon us with this repetition. Two strands of repetition. The repetition of testimony as to who he is and the repetition that something happens as soon as he's around. When Christ arrives, things happen. I think possibly, and we have to be careful how far we go with this, but it's what we touched on two weeks ago. It happened in Mark's own life. We, we threw out the thoughts two weeks ago. Everyone takes a bruising. It doesn't have to be defining how Mark, the author of this gospel, was publicly bruised by the Apostle Paul. And yet it didn't define Mark's own life. And what I, I think I see here is a guy who he's been restored. He's been 
put back into useful ministry. And he understands, man, it was brutal what he went through, but God has worked in his life, and he can hardly wait to tell us the story. Christ came, and things began to happen when he came. And if we're correct on this, what that means is we can expect things to happen now. The Lord is with us, and we can trust Him that something is going to go on. Now, I'm not saying we can control it. I'm not saying we can predict it. I'm not saying we can demand it. I am saying that if we will seek Him, it will happen. Because when Christ arrives, things happen. There have been some... We, we received an announcement on the... Uh, on the on the power team this morning, okay, there have been some interesting answers to prayers going on with this right now. Some things that it's getting, it's, it's, it's more than the people who first laid the groundwork for it are expecting it to be. Why? Because God is answering prayer. Because when Christ arrives, things happen. So what does this mean? Because I, I don't want to belabor this because I know we have a meeting to get to. First of all, on an individual basis, and we'll talk more about these kinds of things as we get into, into Mark. But individually, you know, when we ask Jesus Christ to come into our life and to change us, when we've been walking with the Lord for 30, 40 years and, we, and, we, and He reveals some sin to us, He reveals some issue to us that's holding us back from the fullness and the wholeness of what God would have for us, and we yield it to Him, we say, Lord, come into this situation, redeem this situation, that's the thing He's into. And we can expect that he will do something within us. How interesting. I did not know we'd be singing this song this morning, but I hope this will add to it. I hope you go home singing this song. We know we were made for so much more than ordinary lives. It's time for us to more than just survive. We survive. We were made to thrive. Why? Because when Jesus arrives, things happen. Because when he's on the scene, he didn't come in the scene with no purpose, no intention. He came into the scene intend, intending to have an impact upon the world, to have an impact upon individuals. How exciting is it that we have a Savior who comes into our life and he says, man, I know there's some things need to be changed. And if you will yield them to me, if you will let me work on them, I will do some changing. And uh, you are going to become whole in a way you never could have imagined. So that's individually. The second thing that I just want us to at least to be aware of when Jesus arrives, things happen corporately. We're about to hold a meeting. We're going to eat quick. And Miles is very good at moving us into the meeting. And you've been invited at everybody. Please feel free to come. We do this in such a way to help get that young families can stay with us. We keep it moving so it doesn't drag out. We do it intending that if we can all possibly stay, that would be great. But you know, Mark, at the end of his gospel, Mark has Jesus telling us to go preach the gospel, the end of Matthew's gospel, he said, when we're out making disciples, lo, he is with us to the end of the age. To understand that as we corporately are seeking to, to accomplish something, to be God's presence in this part of the state, to have an influence in northwest Minnesota, to have an influence that goes worldwide when you know, we, got, we got a young person in New Zealand, somebody else in the Far East in an un, unidentified place. 
Somebody heading to Nepal when this is happening around the world. They're come, going out from us. We expect corporately that God will do something. And as I have already mentioned in previous weeks, at the end of last year, I had to look back and go, God just surprised me by all that he did. And that's why I said we can't control it, but we can anticipate that he will do something because he is with us. And he has said, be engaged, be involved. And when he's with us and we're involved, there's something that's going to happen, friends. So if you can, join us for the meeting. Would you please join us? Because it's going gonna, it's gonna, to, we'll look back very briefly. If nothing else, it's in written reports. We can look, you can look back and see what the year entailed through different areas of ministry. But we're also going to begin to get a little start on some things we're thinking about and where we're heading in the future, where we believe God might be leading us. We don't know what God's going to do, but we have every confidence that he's going to do something. Because when Christ arrives, things happen. Father, thank you. Thank you that Mark writes with such an enthusiasm, such an excitement, such a zeal to proclaim Christ, to identify him as being on the scene, to indicate that stuff started happening. Oh, Lord, may we have a confidence that in our lives personally that that Christ will do something something that needs to be done in making us whole? Can we have a confidence, Father, that corporately you're going to use us for another year if we will continue to seek you and to be the vessels you'd need us to be? Oh, Lord, thank you for that magnificent privilege and hope that is ours. In Jesus' name, amen.